Praise the Lord. Amen. Let's all stand this evening. Thank you all for being here tonight. This is most certainly the place to be. Amen. The Lord our God is here with us, ready and able, willing to minister to your needs, ready to receive our worship and our praise and our thanksgiving tonight. Amen. Let's go to him tonight. This is again his service. We want his will to be done. Lord Jesus, you are an awesome God. You are a mighty king. We again heap all glory and honor unto the Most High tonight. You are the Alpha and the Omega, the first and the last, the beginning and the end, which was and which is and which is to come, the Almighty. Hallelujah, Jesus. We proffer our worship and our praise. We give glory and honor unto the Most High tonight. You are altogether worthy to receive it. You are worthy to receive our full attention. Capture our imaginations tonight. Teach us wisdom, knowledge, understanding. Help us to receive this of you tonight. Not our own ideas of right and wrong, not our own ideas of of good and evil, but as thus saith the Lord. Help us, Lord Jesus, to understand with your understanding. Minister in this place tonight according to our desperate needs, according to your perfect will. Thank you, Jesus, for your mercy and for your grace and for your long-suffering patience to usward. Thank you, Lord Jesus, for suffering on a cross and dying in our place. Oh, hallelujah, Jesus, taking the just punishment of our sins upon yourself. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. You are indeed our Savior, our Lord and our God. We worship you tonight. We praise you tonight. We give glory and honor unto you tonight, thou most high God. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Praise God. God bless you. Thank you. You can be seated. Thank you again, those that were... uh, that we're able to come early tonight and uh, warm that food up. Uh, we had a great time of fellowship again, and uh, the food never hurts, <laughs> especially when it's that good. Wow. I think it is better than Famous Dave's. And I don't say that lately. I'm a Famous Dave's fan. But that was really good. Thank you. Thank you for doing that. Thank you also for those who came last night for our prayer. Uh, God is doing something in those prayer services. Uh, He moves differently every time. That's his prerogative, and that's fine. But uh, I appreciate the fact that God meets us there, and uh, he begins to move in our lives, our midst. I wanted to... I am going to give a bit of a testimony. Uh, Some of it I'm not going to share because... And I mean no offense by this, but, you know, some things are just between you and God. And uh, I think you understand. But um, for me last night, uh, I've been struggling with something in particular for the past few months. Uh, Again, it's not important what that is, but what is important is that God met that need last night in prayer. And I received an answer. I received an answer so very clearly. 
And I don't mind saying I came into the building last night borderline depressed. Uh, not not depression, but, you know, the feeling was still there. Uh, we don't trust feelings. We, <laughs> I don't. I quote scripture against my feelings. But the feelings were still there nonetheless. And I left last night on cloud nine. Uh, it was absolutely amazing. And the... Perhaps the reason I got an answer when I did uh, is because I finally got to the place, <laughs> been preaching this for months, but I finally got to the place myself where I was able to tell God, okay, what do I need to learn in this situation? What do I, I'm submitting myself to you, I'm submitting myself to this process and I only, I only say this, I'm certainly not boasting or bragging, uh, except on God. But I'm saying all this to say that the Lord is a prayer-answering God. And if we continue to trust in Him, if we continue to believe in Him, He will answer. He will provide. He will restore. He will heal. He will deliver. He will save. Whatever it is we have need of, He is our answer. And it sometimes takes a while, but, you know, sometimes it's because he's waiting on us to get to the place where he can give us the answer. And so, I just want to brag on God. I am so thankful. I am so happy. Anyway, praise God. And that is an excellent segue to our message tonight. Which is this? <laughs> you like that? <laughs> Which is this? <clears throat> when we trust in God, everything ends up going well for us. When we fail to trust in Him, and we go searching for answers in different places, different areas, when we fail to seek the Lord our God and we seek help from other avenues, other resources, it doesn't end well. And we're going to look at some examples of that tonight in Second Chronicles. I'm reading through that presently, and I've kind of, at least, I've been seeing a pattern. Not the only one, of course, but there is a pattern here. Job 28 and 28 says, And unto man he said, Behold, the fear of the Lord, that is wisdom. And to depart from evil is understanding. Amen. We're going to look at some of the kings of Judah tonight. We're going to see what they did, some of the situations they faced, some of the, their responses to those situations. And we're going to learn wisdom and folly. And we're going to learn what happens, the results of both of them. The first king we're going to look at is Rehoboam. Now, Rehoboam, of course, is the son of Solomon, grandson of David. Solomon, he starts off pretty good. He starts off serving the Lord God, the God of his father, David. And he walked in his ways, his precepts, his judgments, his commandments, uh, God anointed him to be wise above all the men of the earth, speaking the wisdom of God. 
He wrote Proverbs. Uh, People came from the world over, literally, the world over, to hear him speak. But later on, the wisest man that's ever lived, other than Jesus, failed God. He failed because he didn't sit under his own preaching. (laughs) He took to himself all of these wives, and they turned his heart away. And he began to serve other gods. He built groves, high places. He built altars, temples. And these women turned his heart away from God. Because of that, God said that I'm going to tear the kingdom away. I'll save a remnant for David, my servant's sake. But the kingdom is going to be torn in two. Enter Rehoboam. Now it's torn. And Jeroboam, the son of Nebat, is in charge of Israel. He's anointed king of Israel. So Jeroboam goes against, I'm sorry, Rehoboam goes against, uh, he wants the kingdom back. God through the prophet tells him, don't do it. This is of me. Don't fight against your brethren. And they didn't, to their credit. So he begins to consolidate and strengthen the kingdom of Judah. And at 2 Chronicles 11:17 we read this. So they strengthened the kingdom of Judah and made Rehoboam the son of Solomon strong 3 years. For 3 years they walked in the way of David and Solomon. A good start. He walked well. He did well. But then we read in 2 Chronicles 12 and 1 it came to pass when Rehoboam had established the kingdom and had strengthened himself, he forsook the law of God and all Israel with him. After he got everything set up, he walked away from God. What can we learn from this? Well, first let's read this. Deuteronomy chapter 6, verses 10 through 12 says this. And it shall be when the Lord thy God shall have brought thee into the land which he sware unto thy fathers, to Abraham, to Isaac, and to Jacob, to give thee great and goodly cities which thou buildest not, and houses full of all good things which thou fillest not, and wells digged which thou diggest not, vineyards and olive trees which thou plantest not, when thou shalt have eaten and be full, then beware, lest thou forget the Lord, which brought thee forth out of the land of Egypt from the house of bondage. It is a very curious thing in us humans, that when things begin to go very well for us, we start thinking that it's because of us that things are going well. We know in times of trouble, that's not us. All of this trouble isn't because of me. This is because God put me here. This is because the enemy's attacking. But when things are going well, well, that's me. Why do we do that to ourselves? But we do that. We start taking the credit for things we ought not be taking credit for. If we're going to take credit for anything, I should probably take credit for the mess I'm leaving. That I can handle quite nicely. That I can do all by myself. I can break and destroy and mess things up all day long all by myself. I don't need any help with that. But for things to go well, for for situations to just start working out, 
That's God. That's the blessing of God on my life. And I've got to realize that in the good times and in the bad, especially in the good times. When I begin to when God begins to prosper me and my bank account is full and I'm getting promotions at work and everyone is singing my praises. Now I got to be careful. Now I got to really guard my heart and my spirit. Because I'm one step away from falling. If I'm not careful, give all the glory to God. Continue to trust in Him, even when things are going well. Continue to trust in Him. Our blessings and our success is not because of us. It's because of the the grace and the, the blessings of the Lord our God. When we serve Him, when we are submitted to Him, It's His good pleasure to bless you. It's His good pleasure to promote you. He wants to do that. But only so long as we stay right with Him. When we start getting proud, when we start getting haughty and lifted up within ourselves, we're just about done. 2 Chronicles 12.14 says this of, of Rehoboam, and he did evil because he, pre- he prepared not his heart to seek the Lord. He did evil because he prepared not his heart to seek the Lord. We would, all of us, live better if we were more careful to seek the Lord in our daily lives. I know that he is Abba Father. He is our Heavenly Father. We have a very close relationship with Him. That's absolutely true. And there's this this idea that, especially in our society today, and I've mentioned this before, this casualness, this... this, uh, just laid back attitude with everything. Things that ought not be approached casually are. There's no respect for, for elders. There's no respect for superiors, authority. Everyone's on a first name basis. Everyone's on a uh, best buds. It doesn't matter who you are. And I fear that If we take that approach with God, I understand that we have a very close relationship with Him. And He wants that. And and we want that. But at the same time, He's God. He's the Almighty God. We need to be very careful as we approach Him. As we enter into His throne room, we need to prepare our hearts to do that. We need, to, we need to be properly prepared. When the Old Testament uh, high priest went into the Holy of Holies, believe that he took some time in preparation before he entered into the Holy of Holies. He was good and ready to go in. We need to approach it the same way. We need to treat our salvation that way. Our salvation is to be esteemed very highly. 
not to be taken for granted. God saved us. He delivered us from sin, from the bondage of sin. We have an eternity to spend with Him to look forward to. That is a gift more precious than anything, everything else combined. Everything else He gives me, that is more precious than all of it. I'm going to be with Him forever. I've been delivered from all of these things. gave me his name. He gave me the earnest of my inheritance. I need to take that seriously. He's not JC. He's not the man upstairs. He's my Savior. He's my Lord and God. And as I approach him, I'm very thankful to approach him. And I desire to approach him. But I need to understand who I'm approaching. He's not my best bud. He's not my peer. Not by any stretch of the imagination. He's my God. And He saved me. And He continues to save me. And provide. And heal. And restore. I need to take that seriously. Our relationship with God, we need to take that seriously. We need to build that. We need to, we need to grow that. I'm thankful He desires to spend time with me. I'm very thankful. But I can get to the place where I take that for granted. I can pray tomorrow. I'll make it up tomorrow. And if we're all honest... We don't always feel like it. We don't always feel like praying. There's those feelings again. I never felt like doing drywall, especially in the wintertime. Reaching your hand into a bag of ice-cold screws and getting them stuck in your fingers when they're frozen solid, that's a good time. I get to wake up in the morning and I know what I'm looking forward to. I didn't always feel like that either. But I did it. You don't always feel like going to work. Brother Shepherd, you get up at 3, 4 in the morning, whatever weird hours you got. I know you're not bright-eyed and bushy-tailed every morning. Brother DeMuth, working those nice 3, 4-hour days. <laughs> Just kidding. But we do it. We do it because we want the paycheck. There's a reason why we do it. I don't always feel like coming to the Lord in prayer, but I do it because I know. I know a few things. I know that He saved me and He loves me, and I don't want to take that for granted. If He desires for me to come into His presence, Man, I want to come into His presence. And I know... How many always feel like coming to church? You always feel like it. Excellent. I'm in good company. I have, in my past, made excuses not to be in church. I have. Please don't do that. 
don't do that here. We don't do that anymore. I used to do it. We don't do it anymore. <laughs> Nobody does it anymore. <clears throat> but I stopped doing that because the few times I did, every single time was a blowout service. Every single time I, I skipped church, I missed something awesome. And I think God did that to me on purpose. I think He did. So now, <laughs> now when I don't feel like it, I'm doubly sure to be there. I'm absolutely going to be there. Because I know God's got something in store for me. There's probably a reason I'm not feeling like it. But if I, but if I make it here, I'm going to get something from God. When I go to God in prayer, when I make time to, to, to approach the Lord in prayer, when I don't feel like it, more often than not, I walk away so glad that I did. I'm always glad I did, but more often than not, there's something very special waiting for me in that time of prayer. Like last night. I was tempted to make an excuse not to come last night. I'll be perfectly transparent with you. But I didn't, because I knew something. I had learned that lesson already. And God met, and God provided. <clears throat> we need to prepare our hearts to seek the Lord. We need to approach Him in prayer daily. We need to approach the Word of God seriously, like it's the very Word of God. We need to handle this like it's, like it's God in written form, because it is. This is God in written form. He gave this to us. When we approach the Word of God, we need to do it seriously, reverently. Like it's holy. Like it's truth. Because it is. Moving on to Abijah. When Abijah took the throne, there was war between him and Jeroboam. He also sought to reunite the kingdom. He approached it a little differently, though. He stood up and he preached against the sins of Israel. God is not with you because of your calves and because of your priests of low estate. God is with us because we live for Him. We follow His precepts. We have the temple. We have the ark. We have the, the priesthood. Sons of Levi. And they engaged in war. And even though he was right, everything he said was right, he was being overrun by Jeroboam. Second Chronicles 13 and 18 says this, Thus the children of Israel were brought under at that time, and the children of Judah prevailed, because they relied upon the Lord God of their fathers. When it looked like they'd be overrun, they called out to God. They called on to Him for help. And God answered. And God gave them victory. No matter what situation we find ourselves in, when we cry out to God, He will save us. He's demonstrating something here to us. When our trust is in Him, when our hope and our faith and our confidence is in Him, He will deliver. He will answer. 
our temptation is to call out one time, no answer, try something else. Or the reverse, we'll try everything else first, and then when nothing else seems to work, I guess I'll try God, there's nothing else left. We're going to see demonstrated tonight that that's not the best approach to take. God wants us to approach Him first. He wants our hope to remain in Him. When we do, when we stay committed to Him, trusting in Him, He always answers. When our hope is in Him, we will never be confounded. Asa, the next king of Judah. We start off in Second Chronicles 14, verses 2-7. through 7. And Asa did that which was good and right in the eyes of the Lord his God. For he took away the altars of the strange gods and the high places and break down the images and cut down the groves. Where did these come from? They came from Solomon. And commanded Judah to seek the Lord God of their fathers and to do the law and the commandment. Also he took away out of all the cities of Judah the high places and the images. And the kingdom was quiet before him. And he built fenced cities in Judah, for the land had rest. And he had no war in those years, because the Lord had given him rest. Therefore he said unto Judah, Let us build these cities, and make about them walls and towers, gates and bars, while the land is yet before us, because we have sought the Lord our God, we have sought him, and he hath given us rest on every side. So they built and prospered. When we purpose in our hearts to seek the Lord, to seek him above everything else, He will prosper us. He will prosper us. We don't have to worry about that. That's not the the goal. That's not what we're seeking after. We're not seeking after prosperity. As an aside, we're not really seeking after signs and wonders either. We're not seeking after miracles. We're not seeking after power and authority. All of those come naturally. They come organically when... We seek the Lord our God. When we draw close to Him and we become more like Him, those things happen naturally as a result. It's like holiness and standards. We don't preach standards. We preach holiness. Why? Because the standards will come as a result. They'll come from the inside out. Standards on on someone with a black heart is like perfume on a pig. You can try to to make it look pretty. You can try to clean it up, but it's still a pig. When this gets right, you want to be clean on the outside. When we seek the Lord our God, all of these things come naturally. The fruit of the Spirit begins to manifest in our lives naturally. We're not seeking fruit of the Spirit. We're not seeking gifts of the Spirit per se. When we seek God, when our focus is Him, all of these things come as a result. They come naturally. We don't have to seek them. We need to seek God. And when we do, He will prosper us. He will give us victory. He will cause us to become like Him. 2 Chronicles 14, 9-12 says this, And there came out against them Zerah the Ethiopian with an host of a thousand thousand, How many is a thousand thousand? 
Yeah, it's a whole bunch. Yeah, it is. And 300 chariots and came unto Marishah. Then Asa went out against him, and they set the battle in array in the valley of Zephath uh, at Marishah. And Asa cried unto the Lord his God and said, Lord, it is nothing with thee to help, whether with many or with them that have no power. Help us, O Lord our God, for we rest on thee, and in thy name we go against this multitude. O Lord, thou art our God, let not man prevail against thee. So the Lord smote the Ethiopians before Asa and before Judah, and the Ethiopians fled. Just like that. So simple. Such a simple solution. All God needs, all he's looking for is one individual. Completely submitted to him. Completely given over to his will. That's all he needs to work his will in this day and age. That's all he needs. One individual. After this, Asa turned to God with all of his heart and caused all of Judah to do the same. He even sat his mother down from being queen because of her idol worship. Good man. There is no respect of persons with God. God gave him rest on all sides because he sought the Lord with all of his heart. And then something interesting happens. Second in Chronicles 16, starting with verse 1. In the sixth and thirtieth year of the reign of Asa, Basha, king of Israel, came up against Judah and built Ramah to the intent that he might let none go out or come into Asa, king of Judah. Then Asa brought out silver and gold out of the treasures of the house of the Lord and of the king's house and sent to Ben-Hadad, king of Syria, that dwelt at Damascus, saying, There is a league between me and thee, as there was between my father and thy father. Behold, I have sent thee silver and gold. Go, break thy league with Basha, king of Israel, that he may depart from me. And Ben-Hadad hearkened unto king Asa and sent the captains of his armies against the cities of Israel. And they smote Ezon and Dan and Abel Maim and all the store cities of Naphtali. This time he responded differently. This time he did not seek the Lord his God. He sought the help of man. Now we do that. We do that often. When it's time when it's tax time, I don't seek the face of the Lord to get my taxes done. I go get an accountant or a tax person. When I have something medical wrong with me, I pray, but I also go to the doctor. So here's an interesting question, and I'm not sure I have an answer right now, but I'm going to pose it anyway. Where's the line? At at what point... Are we supposed to seek God exclusively and not the help of man? It's it's an interesting question. We certainly seek the help of man from time to time. We don't think anything of it. 
But in these examples that we're looking at tonight, God seems to be taking it personal. He seems to be taking it as a kind of failure on our part. Now again, the examples are pretty cut and dried, okay, that we're reading tonight. Our situations aren't always so cut and dried. I simply pose it as a question. Pray about it. Think about it. Let the Lord speak to you about that. I know I'm going to. In any case, he did not seek God. He sought the help of man. Okay, fair enough. Let's continue reading. Verse 7. And at that time, Hananiah the seer came to Asa, king of Judah, and said unto him, Because thou hast relied on the king of Syria, and not relied on the Lord thy God, therefore is the host of the king of Syria escaped out of thine hand. Were not the Ethiopians and the Lubims a huge host, with very many chariots and horsemen? Yet because thou didst rely on the Lord, he delivered them into thine hand. For the eyes of the Lord run to and fro throughout the whole earth to show himself strong in the behalf of them whose heart is perfect toward him. Herein thou hast done foolishly, therefore from henceforth thou shalt have wars. Then Asa was wroth with the seer and put him in a prison house, for he was in a rage with him because of this thing. And Asa oppressed some of the people at the same time. It appears to me that God was chastising Asa for his lack of faith. Whatever it was, whatever, whatever caused him to, to make this decision, in the past he relied on God for these things, for a much larger host, a much larger enemy, a much more hopeless situation. Maybe it was because it was so hopeless. No matter what he did, there's nothing he could have done. If I read this correctly, it's a million people that came out against him. There's no way he could do anything with that. He had to turn to God. Maybe that was it. With a lesser host, he felt like he could take care of it himself. I don't know. That kind of leads me to believe, though, that God wants us to take everything to him. The easy stuff and the hard stuff. God demonstrates here in no uncertain terms that it's his desire for us to seek him first and foremost. He wants us to rely in him. He wants us to depend on him and him alone. He doesn't want us relying on the strength of man. He doesn't want us relying on our own talents, gifts, or abilities. He wants us to rely on him. I consider myself a reasonably intelligent person. I've been told that in the past. I'm reasonably intelligent. I thank God for that. But see, here's the thing. One bump on the head and all that's gone. God can take it just like that. So I'm very careful not to rely too much on it. I'm very careful not to be too puffed up about it. Because I know God gave that to me. He's given me other gifts and talents. And he can take them away just like that. 
He gave me life. He can take that away. Just like that. He can take away my ability to walk. He can take away my ability to, to, to read and write, to see, to hear, whatever He wants to do. I receive those things of Him daily. I wake up thanking God for breath. So when I start thinking that it's hard not to rely on those things sometimes. It's hard not to In the United States we have this uh we were built on this idea of rugged individualism, right? <coughs> Don't ask for help. Don't show pain. Don't cry. Uh, just do what it takes to get the thing done. And there's a lot of benefits. There's a lot of positives to that attitude. But there are some negatives as well. <coughs> One of the things is we hate asking for help. I've always struggled with this. I don't know if it's a, a man thing or if that's a, a it's probably a, a pride thing. Probably. It certainly is a pride thing. <laughs> Probably sounds better. <laughs> but I don't like asking for help. And the reason is, I figure like I should be able to do this. I should be able to take care of this. Sometimes, folks, we just can't. We can't take care of it. It's beyond us. When things are hopeless and when the situation is so far beyond us, it's easy to turn to God at that point because there's literally no other hope. There's nothing else I could do about this. No one else that I know can do anything about this. Only God can. So it's easy to come to God. But when it's something that I can probably do, maybe, I'm going to give it a shot. I'm going to try it doesn't always work out. Someone's glaring at me. <laughs> One thing I promised her I wouldn't do is to try to work on plumbing. <laughs> she made me promise that. I won't do it. <laughs> In any case, it seems to be God's desire for us to bring everything to Him. For us to bring everything to Him. That's profitable for us because when we learn to trust in God no matter what, no matter what we're facing, the little things, the great big things, and everything in between, when we learn to trust in Him for all of it, our faith becomes exercised and our, our expectations become uh, properly focused on God for an answer. Not for man, not for, not for something I can do, but through God. God wants to be our answer. And I'm not saying we need to pray about which tie to wear on Sunday morning or anything like that. We do have that much intelligence, but <laughs> yeah, most days. 
but the situations that come at us, the situations we find ourselves in. When in doubt, bring it to God in prayer. If you're thinking, eh, I could take care of this, bring it to him anyway. Exercise your faith. Exercise uh, your reliance on God. The more we begin to trust in him, the more we, we uh, practice reliance in him, the more we're going to be able to do that when it really matters. When the enemy comes against us, I know you can pick the tie out yourself. But maybe it's okay to ask him anyway. Why not? We see kind of a downward slope in Asa from this point. He went in a rage threw the man of God in prison, and started oppressing people. We find Asa ending his days diseased in his feet. He started so well. He didn't end well. Jehoshaphat. We all know Jehoshaphat. Second Chronicles 17, starting at verse 3. And the Lord was with Jehoshaphat because he walked in the first ways of his father David and sought not unto Baalim, but sought to the Lord God of his father and walked in his commandments and not after the doings of Israel. Therefore the Lord established the kingdom in his hand and all Judah brought to Jehoshaphat presence. And he had riches and honor in abundance. And his heart was lifted up in the ways of the Lord. Moreover, he took away the high places and groves out of Judah. Again, he sought the Lord with all of his heart. God prospered him. His heart was toward God. He was seeking his face. And because of that, God prospered him. Verse 10, The fear of the Lord fell upon all the kingdoms of the lands that were round about Judah, so that they made no war against Jehoshaphat. And some of the Philistines brought Jehoshaphat presents and tribute silver. And the Arabians brought him flocks, 7,700 rams and 7,700 he-goats. And Jehoshaphat waxed great exceedingly, and he built in Judah castles and cities of store. His star was on the rise, and it wasn't because of him. It was because of God. Second Chronicles 18 and verse 1. Now Jehoshaphat had riches and honor and abundance and joined affinity with Ahab. What? And after certain years, he went down to Ahab to Samaria, and Ahab killed sheep and oxen for him in abundance and for the people that he had with him, and persuaded him to go up with him to Ramoth Gilead. At the height of his power, he joins forces with the wicked king Ahab. Jehoshaphat has the sense enough to call and inquire at the Lord concerning this upcoming battle. Is there not a prophet of the Lord that we could speak with? They find one. Ahab hates him, of course. He ends up telling him that God has declared defeat for Israel if they go to fight, and even that God has sent lying spirits to convince Ahab to go down and to meet his demise. So, of course, they go down to the battle. Good call. Jehoshaphat was surrounded at one point, but calls out to God for help, and God delivered him. 
Ahab tried to disguise himself, but was sought by pure chance, quote unquote, and was mortally wounded. He returned to Israel and died. Judah returned, I'm sorry, Jehoshaphat returned to Judah and was met by a man named Jehu. Second Chronicles 19 and verse 2 says this, Jehu, son of Hanani the seer, went out to meet him and said to King Jehoshaphat, Shouldest thou help the ungodly and love them that hate the Lord? Therefore is wrath upon thee from before the Lord. Nevertheless, there are good things found in thee, in that thou hast taken away the groves out of the land and hast prepared thine heart to seek God. There are people in this world that hate God. They know God exists. It's not like they, they're an atheist. You know, there are no real atheists, right? There are no real atheists. Everybody, the Bible declares this, everybody knows that God is real. Everybody understands that God is there. But they despise Him in their hearts, and they are willfully ignorant of the fact that He exists. So there are people that, yeah, I know God exists. I hate Him. I hate His laws. I hate His precepts. I hate everything He stands for. Can you imagine being like that? There are people like that in the world. Why would we ally ourselves with someone that hates God? Do we love God? I hope we do. I hope we love Him with all of our hearts. Why would we make an alliance with someone that hates God's guts? Why would we do that? We ought not do that. We don't make alliances with the enemy. We don't. If they're not for us, they're against us. And I know I I probably sound a little closed-minded, narrow-minded, whatever. But I'm telling you. We do not make alliances with the enemy. Don't do it. Don't listen to him. Don't give him ground. Don't do anything with him. Tell him to shut up. Tell him to move on. Curse him. Whatever you need to do, get him out of here. Don't deal with him. Jehoshaphat made an alliance with this wicked king. And he was properly chastised for it. Another corollary of this is (laughs) we need to decide which side we're on. Make a choice. Take a stand. Choose a side. It's all right to do that. There are are situations, there are uh, things that present themselves to me, and I sometimes... Delay in making a choice because I enjoy having options. I really do enjoy having options. And once you make a choice, all those other options go away. But folks, we need to make a choice. Are we for God or are we against God? There's no other choice to make. There is no neutral ground in this war. There is no neutrality. That is a lie from the enemy. 
There's no neutrality. You're for God or you're against Him. You're for the enemy or you're against Him. Make a choice. Choose a side. And walk in it. That example we gave earlier about, you know, the the homogenization of, of Christianity in the United States today. How that overseas, certainly in like Muslim countries or, or chi- the Chinese church, they don't have that problem. When someone decides to, to live for Jesus Christ in those countries, they're all the way in. They understand that if I say yes to this, I could die tomorrow. I could go to prison tomorrow. My family could go to prison tomorrow. There's no lukewarmness over there. It's yes or no. In some ways, the coming persecutions are going to be a blessing in that we're going to have to decide. We're going to have to make a choice. And everyone else following after us is going to have to make a choice. Joshua 24 and 15 says, If it seem evil unto you to serve the Lord, choose you this day whom you will serve, whether the gods which your fathers served that were on the other side of the flood, or the gods of the Amorites in whose land ye dwell. But as for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. And serve Him with all your heart. Serve Him with everything you got. Sometimes we wish that the choices were different. Sometimes we wish the consequences to those choices were different. I get it. Who doesn't? I wish there were all kinds of options here. But there isn't. I don't care what you're wishing. I don't care what I'm wishing. The reality is, these are our options. You can wish and you can hope all day long. But it doesn't change the fact that there are two and two only Only two options to choose from. God or the enemy. That's it. That's the only choices we have. Choose correctly. Again, this salvation, this precious salvation that's been given to us. Given to us. We didn't earn it. We didn't purchase it. God did. And He he gives it to us freely. take that seriously let's esteem it as highly as it needs to be esteemed the relationship that we have with him the the idea that i can serve the lord jesus christ this idea that i can be i can be his son he can live inside of me my word have you stopped to think about that what that means What a precious gift that is. That's why I say, honestly, if I lose everything else in this world and have Jesus, I'm not going to like it. But that's enough. That is more than enough for me. After all this misery and pain is done, like Paul said, these light afflictions which are but for a moment. That's all this is going to be. It seems like a lot now. I'll be the first to grant you that. 
but compared to what we're going to receive, compared to the place we're going to, there is absolutely no comparison. None. <clears throat> Second Chronicles 20 and 1 says, It came to pass after this also that the children of Moab and the children of Ammon and with them other besides the Ammonites came against Jehoshaphat to battle. Jehoshaphat was again threatened by war, this time by the Ammonites, the Moabites, and the Edomites. Coming out of Mount Seir. He prayed and he declared a fast throughout the land. All of Judah gathered themselves together and set themselves as one body to seek the Lord. We read Jehoshaphat's prayer. He lays Judah's case before God. It's a wonderfully written prayer. I love that prayer. It ends like this. 20 and verse 12. O, o our God, wilt thou not judge them? For we have no might against this great company that cometh against us. Neither know we what to do, but our eyes are upon thee. And all Judah stood before the Lord with their little ones, their wives, and their children. They waited. They waited for God to respond. They waited for an answer from him. God does respond. Verse 15. And he said, Hearken ye all Judah and ye inhabitants of Jerusalem and thou King Jehoshaphat. Thus saith the Lord unto you, Be not afraid nor dismayed by reason of this great multitude. For the battle is not yours, but God's. Tomorrow go ye down against them. Behold, they come up by the cliff of Ziz. And ye shall find them at the end of the brook before the wilderness of Jerul. Ye shall not need to fight in this battle. Set yourselves, stand ye still, and see the salvation of the Lord with you, O Judah and Jerusalem. Fear not, nor be dismayed. Tomorrow go out against them, for the Lord will be with you. They assemble to the battle. Joshua counsels Judah with these words. Verse 20. They arose early in the morning and went forth into the wilderness of Tekoa. And as they went forth, Jehoshaphat stood and said, Hear me, O Judah, and ye inhabitants of Jerusalem. Believe in the Lord your God, so shall ye be established. Believe his prophets, so shall ye prosper. This is good counsel. This is good counsel to give our families when they're going through something. When, as a family, we're going through a tough situation. Husbands especially, listen to me. Comfort your family with these words. If we, if we believe in God, if we trust in Him, this is all going to work out. It's all going to work out. When you hear naysayers in your family and people saying anything else, gently but firmly shut them down. That's not the God that you serve. God's desire is to prosper you. God's desire is to honor and bless the faith that you put in Him. When you declare to your family that God is faithful, when you declare to your family that God he gave us this promise, and it's got to come to pass, this is the Word of God. It's not going to fail us. God honors that. God will come running into the midst of that. God is trustworthy. God is faithful. What God promises must certainly come to pass. 
almost done. <clears throat> There's some more about Jehoshaphat. At the end, Jehoshaphat uh, allies himself with a wicked guy again. Poor guy. <laughs> He wants to get some shipping going. God says, not with this guy. Destroys all of his ships. Nope, no shipping for you. Again, he's chastised for his error. Don't make an alliance with the wicked. You will not prosper. Ahaziah, grandson of Jehoshaphat. 2 Chronicles 22, verses 3 through 5 says, He also walked in the ways of the house of Ahab, for his mother was his counselor to do wickedly. Wherefore he did evil in the sight of the Lord like the house of Ahab, for they were his counselors after the death of his father to his destruction. He walked also after their counsel and went with Joram, Jehoram, the son of Ahab, king of Israel, to war against Haziel, king of Syria, at Ramoth-Gilead, and the Syrians smote Joram. He destroyed himself. Because of those people he let speak into his life. And I'll close with this. The Bible says, rightly so, that in the multitude of counselors there is safety. We need godly men and women that we can trust and that we allow to speak into our lives. Even things we don't necessarily want to hear at the time. Especially that. We need those men and women in our lives. They've got to be godly. If you let ungodly people speak into your life, it will be to your ruin. It will be to your destruction. I'm warning all of us. Get counselors. Get mentors. Get, get elders who have went before you, who have experienced things that, that you're experiencing presently or will experience. Let them speak into your life. They've got to be godly. It's got to be godly counsel. Don't trust just anyone with that. That is a very important place to have in your life. And if someone asks you to fill that spot, someone approaches you and says, I want to be accountable to you. I want you to speak into my life. You need to take that seriously. Being a counselor is a very important thing. It's a very, it's a very powerful place to, to, uh, to be in someone's life. And if you give improper counsel, that could lead to someone's destruction. We've all seen it or know of somebody that that's happened to. I can think of one example right off the top of my head good men of God that should have known better gave counsel to someone and it destroyed him. It destroyed him. When we ask someone to give us counsel, when we trust someone to be an advisor, when we trust someone and... This goes also for who we let into our lives, period. The friends that we have, the people that we associate with, hang out with. They are influencing you. 
aware of that. We're influencing them, hopefully, but they are certainly influencing us as well. It was to his destruction that he had the wrong counselors. He received the wrong counsel. Last verse, Deuteronomy 30 and 19. I call heaven and earth to record this day against you that I have set before you life and death, blessing and cursing. Therefore, choose life that both thou and thy seed may live. Choose wisdom. Choose the fear of the Lord. Choose to seek his face. Choose to trust in him no matter what. And God will prosper you. The promise doesn't always come immediately. We know that. But it does come. It most certainly comes when our faith and our hope continues in the Lord our God. Amen. Let's all stand.